Good evening and welcome to the Fred Paul Show on ADH TV. Well, in the United States, the most nauseating annual political event is the State of the Union Address, when the US President regally parades into a joint sitting of Congress to wax rhetorically about how brilliantly he is performing. Until recently, Australians were spared this type of political histrionics, but not anymore, thanks largely to the person holding what should be the least theatrical ministry in the front bench, the Treasurer. Last night's performance from Jim Chalmers raised the bar so high that in future, Treasurers might need to be selected for their oratorical skills rather than an ability to balance the books which, let's face it, is not that important anymore anyway. Here's Chalmers laying them in the aisles with his crescendo last night. ...nation to tackle the big challenges and to seize the big chances. A deep faith in our people, their skills, their smarts, their innovation and their aspiration. This tonight is a plan for security, for prosperity, for growth. It's an economic strategy to help with cost of living pressures now and to maximise and extend the opportunities of the future to more of our people in more parts of our country in the defining, decisive decade ahead. And so, Mr Speaker, for all of these reasons, I commend this bill and this budget to the House. Chalmers began his speech with a bold promise. Mr Speaker, the budget we present to the Australian people tonight provides cost of living relief that is responsible and affordable and prioritises those most in need. It delivers historic investments in Medicare and the care economy, making it easier and cheaper for Australians to see their doctor. It broadens opportunity by breaking down the barriers of disadvantage and exclusion. Prioritises those most in need? Breaks down the barriers of disadvantage and exclusion? Well, that's not strictly true. There is one group of people who are desperately in need, who have been disadvantaged and excluded by the government itself and who are completely ignored or almost completely ignored in this budget. By all current indications, these people will continue to be overlooked regardless of which party is in power until they are forever quieted by the often terminal injuries that have been inflicted upon them and the politicians and senior bureaucrats responsible can finally breathe a sigh of relief and pretend that they never even existed. I am referring, of course, to people seriously injured or killed by COVID vaccines, that which they never wanted to take in the first place and who are now living in limbo, wondering if the chest pains that wake them up in the middle of the night will one day lead to a fatal heart attack. I'll speak to one such Australian, Wayne Bartlett, a groundskeeper and school bus driver from the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne in a minute. But first, to understand the global nature of this issue, let's return to the United States. My colleague, Mark Stein, interviewed Democrat pre presidential contender, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. yesterday. Here is one of Kennedy's key messages. 
Oh, and there was we created 500 new billion a, a billionaire a day during the pandemic. There was this tremendous shift in wealth, four trillion dollars from the American middle class to this new, you know, aristocracy of of oligarchs and plutocrats who rose up during the pandemic and really changed the nature of American democracy um, and the you know, and the economic profile of our country. And, and at the same time as there was that transfer to these uh, multinational billionaires, uh, there were mom and pop businesses shutting up and down every main street in every small town uh, across America. It's this alliance between government and these global corporations that you see as the, the, the basic uh, motivator for your campaign. Yeah, I mean, Amazon essentially by censoring uh, criticism of the lockdown uh, was colluding in a government project to close down all of its competitors. So, it, you know, the government shut down 3.3 million businesses in our country. Many of them will never reopen. For the full interview and for more of Mark's content, go to ADH.TV or our app. Now, the transition of wealth that Kennedy refers to applies here as well. The businesses that survived the lockdown easiest were big corporations, most of which were allowed to stay open. But small businesses suffered. So too did the people who were coerced into being vaccinated and experienced adverse reactions as a result. As we now know, the virus was not as dangerous as we were led to believe, and the vaccines did not stop the spread or reduce the severity of the illness. So anybody who suffered as a result of these experimental vaccines should, at the very least, feel like they qualify for what Chalmers calls the most in need. Last year, the government put aside $77 million for such payouts in a scheme that is already proving inadequate to the task. This year's budget includes less than that. As the Sydney Morning Herald reported last month, thousands of people are still waiting to find out if they will get a tiny slice of the original $77 million. As I said, we'll meet one of those people in a minute. The Herald also reported that Government Services Minister Bill Shorten says the small number of payouts from the scheme was a reflection of the effectiveness of the vaccines. As recently as last November, when adverse reactions to the vaccines were impossible to deny, especially regarding AstraZeneca, which has since been banned in Australia, Shorten said, quote, safe and effective vaccines are scientifically proven to be the best way to prevent against death, hospitalisation and severe illness as a result of the COVID-19 infection. I have no time for fringe operators who spread misinformation and prey on people's fears and anxieties for cynical political purposes. Well, Let's meet one of those fringe operators now, Melbourne greenskeeper Wayne Bartlett. Wayne, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. Wayne, you were a groundskeeper and you had been working as a school bus driver as well, um, groundskeeper for a bowling club. You worked outdoors, you're an active type of guy. 
your father, I believe, had a case of cardiomyopathy, which is a weakening of the heart. He suffered that late in life. So you took precautions and had regular heart checks with a cardiologist. Three months before you were coerced to take the COVID vaccine, you visited your cardiologist for a checkup. What did he say? Uh, he said that everything was fine. I had uh, no heart issues at all and um, looked like I was uh, had bypassed the, uh, the gene that, you know, sends the cardiomyopathy out so so you were lucky. so yeah you were you were uh under a fine you, you were being checked for heart conditions got a full uh tick of approval from a cardiologist so now let's forward to you taking the vaccines why and when did you take uh, did you get the jab for covid uh well obviously as soon as they were mandated, I was driving a school bus, so uh, the company I was working for mandated them straight away. Uh, I'd already told everybody there that I was not really keen on having them, uh, just pretty unsure of, the, you know, the, the rapid out, bringing out of the vaccines. Um, I'm not anti-vax or anything like that, so... I'm just careful, or try to be. Um, well, I mean, you're, what you're saying there is you have a right to, you know, make your own medical decisions. That, that's not that's not rocket science. Um, you know, why were you? What made you sceptical about the rapid rollout of these vaccines? Uh, just knowing that they came out so and um, were produced and then issued so quickly without a, a large background of, of uh, sort of testing. Yep. Um, oh, look, I'm not the only one that's that had that thought. Uh, there was plenty of people around, but uh, I'd only not long bought a house. Right. So I needed to keep my job. Couldn't afford to lose your job. Okay, so this is no. early 2021. Uh, which vaccine did you take? Uh, I had the Pfizer vaccine. Okay. And how, the first one, how did the first one go? Uh, first one was all right. I, I had that, uh, I think, first week of September, maybe. Um, 2021. I didn't, yeah, 2021. Yeah. Um, didn't even get a sore arm or anything. Had no issues with it. Thought, well, that's not too bad. Um then had the second jab. How many weeks later? Six weeks later, had the second jab. Um, and that was in, uh, I think, you know, the second last week of October in 2021. Yep. Um, and it was all right. And then sort of a week later, just started feeling very lethargic, was, you know, getting tired. Uh, wasn't able to do so much of what I was doing previous. Uh, just even coming home after driving the school bus in the morning, I was coming home and having a sleep before going back in the afternoon. Uh, and just continually started getting more lethargic and just lack of energy and until uh, the 16th of December. And what happened on um, that day? 
uh, drove the bus in the morning and did the same. Um, actually, that that day I drove the bus in the morning and then went and laid some some turf in between shifts. Uh, went back, did my afternoon run. It was the second last day of school for the year, uh, so we nicked across the road after everyone had finished their run and had a few drinks and. Um, I just opened my second drink and uh, dropped dead in the lap of the bloke sitting next to me. Dropped dead? So you were, what, what happened? I mean, well, you can't remember what happened because you weren't conscious, but you were later told you had been pronounced dead at the, at the scene, hadn't you? Uh, yeah, um, they, the, my work colleagues thought I'd had a fit. Um, until I obviously started changing colour. Uh, so they started CPR. One of the ladies dashed down the road, got a defib from the gym up the road. Um, so, you know, they brought that back. Um, the fella who ran the defib um, was actually the bloke I fell in his lap. Um, and two other drivers were doing compressions and breaths. Uh, but you remained uh, so, unconscious, didn't you? Yeah, I. the last thing I remember was putting my can of beer on the table. Right, okay. But the defibrillator um, didn't, no. didn't work initially, did it? Um, the first shock didn't. I believe, from what I've been told, they got a faint heartbeat and then it disappeared and then they got a faint heartbeat and then it disappeared. Um, so I was shocked three times by my colleagues. Uh, then two uh, first responders, firefighters turned up. They took over. Um, and then the ambulance turned up and then they took over. So uh, overall I was, I had CPR for 35 minutes, got shocked seven times. Wow. Um, so let's just let's and just cut to the, the the most dramatic part of this this story. Someone rang your wife Karen, who arrived with your two kids. What happened then? Um, well, the ambulance, uh, the so the paramedics they um, they got a a heartbeat. It wasn't super strong, and they'd actually prepared their uh, injections to put me in an induced coma. Um, and then Karen turned up and uh, sort of, I think, uh, she was rubbing my leg, telling me that she was there. Um, then I just sort of just sat up. That's a miracle. Um, apparently pulled the tubes out of my, that I had out. Um, then I stood up and wow. got on the gurney, vomited, uh, told everybody I'd see him tomorrow. And then the next thing I know, well, I'm uh, waking up in hospital on Saturday. Wow. Well, the, the one on of the few... What, what? Thursday afternoon. So, yeah. Okay. So, but one of the few uh, sort of charming aspects to your story, Wayne, is that uh, you remained unconscious until your wife, Karen, turned up. How long have you two been together? Uh, 21 years. Well, she must have no. some must have some effect on you, mate. So now, tell us about uh, why you believe uh, this 
this incident is related to the vaccine? Uh, well, look, I was a fit, healthy person and I, I hadn't had any issues. I had a stress test in April earlier that year, so eight months previous, uh, had no issues. Um, so got, you know, full tick of everything being okay. Um, and, and just the fact that of how it happened, yeah. like I, I felt nothing. I had no, no uh, sort of pains or anything. I just was mid conversation, and just that was it. I just finished. It was I dropped. How many? How many weeks after uh, was it? I think it was about fifty days, wasn't it? After your second jab, when this happened, uh, that- fifty. 52 days, yeah. Right, okay. That seems to be a common time lapse between, uh, a reasonably common time lapse between a, a jab and an adverse reaction. Um, has, have, have any medical experts uh, made the link between the jab and your current heart condition? Yes. I um, My GP believes that it, was uh, a major player in in what happened. Right. Um, my cardiologist has sit, since said that inflammation caused by the vaccine uh, was played a part in in uh, in ha- the the incident. And, um, and he's and actually written that on paper. He's, you've got that on paper. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's useful. No, what was the incident? What what happened to you on that day? Um, so from what I gather, I've got lots of paperwork that has lots of mistakes in it, um, if you can believe that. Um, yeah, I, I stopped uh, stopped living, I suppose. I, I, my heart no, sorry, stopped. no, what I meant was what, has a cardiologist, has a cardiologist explained or a doctor explained to you what happened to your heart that, at the pub that day? Uh, no, no. Right. All, all they said was they tried to tell me that I had a, um, a piece of calcification break off and blocked an artery and that's what caused my uh, cardiac arrest. So I went into VF cardiac arrest. Um, they found a blockage in the OM2 artery, which they couldn't stent because where they found it was um, one millimetre in size. Um, so I, ha- I had an angiogram. Obviously, they have a bit of build up in arteries just like everybody else on the planet um but not unusually you know, high you have a, sorry but not unusually high your cholesterol no it's not unusually high um and unless you've had a an angiogram you wouldn't know whether you've got a build up of calcification in in there or not or right um, okay, well, Wayne, tell us about your life now. I mean, show the viewers what you, what has been implanted in your chest, if you don't mind. So, yeah, well, I spent eight days in hospital and uh, left with with that. That's a, a defib, if you can see that there. Yep. Um, it's quite prominent sitting there in the top of my chest. 
Uh, that's there to to stop me from going into cardiac arrest again. So it, that it does. How long has that been in your chest, Wayne? Uh, that was put in seven days after I went to hospital. So um, uh, would have been uh, two days before Christmas, twenty twenty one. So it's been there for over a year. So far, luckily, it hasn't swung into operation because it, it's actually a defibrillator, um, which, which is triggered by a low heart rate or a high heart rate. What happens? Uh, well, if my heart rate falls below 40 or above about 180, 190, it will go off and try to fix the problem of the low or high heart rate. Um, and from what I've been told, it feels like being kicked in the chest, so. Well, that's not something to look forward to, but at least it'll keep you alive. Tell us what your life is like now, Wayne. Uh, well, as soon as I had the defib put in, I lost my commercial license, so I don't drive a bus anymore. Um, I actually lost, they took my car license off me for seven months. Um, as well, so I didn't, couldn't drive for seven months because I have to be asymptomatic for six months or more before uh, they could give me my license back. I now have restrictions on my license, so it's been downgraded to a light rigid. Uh, can't carry public passengers, dangerous goods, or be a driving instructor. Um, so off goes. I can't drive the school bus anymore. Well, it's um, ironic that you, you took the you took this vaccine in order to keep your job as a bus driver, and now they're taking your driving license away. Yeah, yeah. Well, so as, as you said, I, I got the vaccine to keep my job, and I ultimately uh, lost it. So yeah, yeah. Um, so, so what's your financial situation? Yeah, okay, Wayne. So how much how much are you getting work, and what's your financial situation like now? Um, yeah, I'm getting work. I've got a, obviously friends in the greenkeeping industry. Um, I work two days a week for a couple of golf courses. Sitting, on, I sit on a mower for two days a week, um, and that gives me a little bit of um, money to help pay the bills and stuff. Um, I've also had to I put in a, a, a TPD claim for, uh, through my superannuation. Um, that's total that's permanent sort of, disability, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So and, so, and that's just that's just uh, so you can get access to your own super, isn't it? It's not a form of insurance, is it? No, it's, it's an insurance section and the superannuation. So that got paid out, and you know, threw a heap of money on the on the house to keep us you know, sort of, you know, away from yeah. losing anything. Yeah, um, okay. So well, that was enough. That was enough to sort of cover our our mortgage payments for 12 months. And what of the um, future? What, what, what's the future look like for you now, Wayne? Uh, pretty uh, pretty quiet, actually. Um, at, at the moment, I, I, I sit on a mile for eight hours a day, a couple of days a week. Uh, come home and have a sleep straight afterwards. I'm just, I just, I have a very small capacity to to be overly busy. Um, so today's sort of a day off for me. So 
uh, normally I just I stay at home, watch the telly, have a sleep during the day, and and uh, yeah, most of my days, you know, if I work, I come home and sleep. If I'm and, at home, I sleep anyway. So. And financially, without you know prying too much, but are, are you confident about being able to keep your house, for example? Uh, n- not after the end of next year, no. So we're currently on a, a fixed interest rate. Um, so that finishes the end of next year. Uh, once we move away from the fixed interest rate, I'm not going to be able to afford my mortgage. So, so you'll have we'll to sell up. Yeah. Are you expecting to receive any compensation? Uh, I believe you're associated with Dr. Melissa McCann's class action lawsuit. The budget last night didn't include much money at all for people like yourself. Uh, are you expecting to get any compensation uh, from the government? Um, <clears throat> I'm not overly confident that I'm going to get anything. Um, but look, it's not all about trying to get money. Somebody has to be held accountable for, you know, uh, the the number of people that have had these adverse reactions and and passed away. Um, so, as long as someone takes responsibility for it, I'd be happy. Uh, obviously, I'd be more happy if I got money, but uh, you know, we can't sort of guarantee that. And according to the government, there's only been um, a thousand adverse reactions and deaths. So, how many do you think there are? A little. Uh, well, from my batch number, there's been nine deaths and over 500 adverse reactions. Uh, and there's more than a lot more than one batch number. I can tell you that. Yeah. Well, Wayne, you seem to be keeping a pretty uh, happy. Demeanour, despite all this, uh, it must be, you must have a few reasons to, to stay happy and, uh, and stay alive. Um, you are one of the lucky ones who wasn't killed by these vaccines. But uh, I do wish you all the best luck and thanks for sharing your story with us. No worries. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me and uh, I appreciate it. All the best. Thanks, Wayne. That's Wayne Bartlett, a Melbourne greenkeeper and former school bus driver who suffers from ongoing serious health problems since receiving the COVID vaccine two years ago. Well, that's all from me tonight. Thanks for watching. The great Alan Jones is up next at eight o'clock. And if you haven't noticed yet, the legendary Mark Stein, the funniest and most incisive conservative commentator in the world is now on ADH. Go to our website, adh.tv, download our app, or download our app to see his four shows a week live and all his past shows on demand. You'll also find an abundance of great content from such brilliant commentators as Damien Curry, Alexandra Marshall, Daisy Cousins, David Flint, Nick Cater, Lyle Shelton, and Dave Pellow, and more. Tell your friends, ADH is the new home for common sense commentary, and there's no shortage of things to comment about these days. I'll see you again tomorrow at seven o'clock. Good night.